Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode seven of the Australian Hiker podcast. In today's episode, we'll be discussing treading lightly on the landscape with the concept of take any memories, leave only footprints. And in the second segment, we'll be doing uh, talking about the last of our big three pieces of hiking equipment, the, the sleeping bag. And today we'll be reviewing the Mont XL Beetle Up Down Sleeping Bag. Now, the first... Uh, first concept of take any memories relates to that of noise pollution. And this is one that most people tend not to think of because they often think of more the more physical, obvious uh, th- issue of things like rubbish. One of my biggest complaints when hiking is noise pollution. And I don't really care when I'm urban hiking, but I, when I go into a remote or wilderness area, I expect a certain level of solitude and with that minimal noise. When we hike, uh, Jill and I tend to be walking in, uh, one in front of the other, uh, and it'll vary who's actually leading from time to time. Uh, but it, because of that, I often find it hard to carry out a conversation. Uh, and I also have a low level of uh, noise, uh, industrial deafness, courtesy of previous workplaces. So I tend not to uh, actually have active conversations when I'm hiking. I, tend, I like to wait until I've stopped and having a break. Uh, very similarly, I also tend to reduce the volume of my noise or my voice in a similar manner as we all tend to do when we're in churches. It's amazing how far loud voices can carry on the trail. Now, I tend to be a, an early to bed, early to rise uh, kind of guy, and I normally get up well before the dawn. So I try to be conscious of others and, and, and uh, uh, who are still likely to be asleep and to minimise any mo- noise as I move around uh, the camp. Uh, I don't always, I'm not always successful at this, but I certainly try. Uh, We did have a moment um, when we were on the Lara Pinta Trail where we were trying to pack up early. It was going to be a a long day, a hot day, and uh, it was a little bit dark. And uh, I'm not sure what it sounded like, but in our effort to be really, really quiet, I don't think we were particularly successful. (laughs) And and, yeah, and the reverse also tends to apply because I do tend to get up so early. Uh, the concept of hike at midnight, where people who are doing particularly longer hikes are often in bed fairly early, and the idea of the middle of the night for them tends to be about nine o'clock. Uh, for me, I tend to appreciate people who are fairly quiet in the evening, because it's not unusual for me to uh, to have gone to bed by seven, seven thirty, eight o'clock at the latest, um, uh, which is probably one of the reasons I do tend to get up early in the mornings. Um, I also, uh, in regard to technology, um, remember to turn your phone down as well um, uh, onto at least a low volume or onto silent. In most cases, a lot of the hikes that we tend to do don't uh, don't work. Uh, the, the phones don't tend to work. We're out of radio range. Um, but it's it's amazing. Uh, I actually did a we actually did a hike on the weekend uh, in Queensland, and uh, it was amazing that uh, we we have a couple of hikers ahead of us. Uh, had their radios on 
uh, and you know we could hear them from it would have been probably four or five hundred meters away and you know past them as they were sitting on the trail so you know typically I tend to like going out into the wild uh, for the peace and quiet and to enjoy nature uh, and I think I can often do without the loud music so realistically if you've got to take your uh, your 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 uh, phone or you want to listen to music as you go um, Remember to take headphones just so you're not disturbing other people as well. The other big benefit of uh, being quiet on the trail and the trail is that you don't tend to scare away wildlife. Um, most uh, most animals uh, do appreciate a bit of quiet, and at night time, if you're trying to see things or um, uh, spot animals, m- making less noise will make it easier to see the wildlife. Now the next concept of that is of, of leave no trace. And put simply, this is exactly as it sounds. If someone's following you behind you, um, the concept is, could they tell you you've actually been there? Now while it's almost impossible to reduce 100% of your impact on the environment, it shouldn't stop you from trying. So just running through the concepts of leave, leave no trace, have you left your rubbish behind? If you carry it in, you should carry it out. And now much of our modern day food is highly packaged. So look at what you can actually get rid of prior to going on the trail. Uh, and this means that it might be, uh, do you really need the cardboard boxes uh, that go with uh, your packet of biscuits? Or can you just take the actual biscuits themselves uh, in a, um, just in the inside bag? Uh, limiting what you actually take with you is going to reduce your weight. And it means you're going to have to take less rubbish out. When we were in Bhutan, along the trail, we noticed that there were... Um, lolly papers, lolly wrappers, um, and uh, I think I think a lot of people were really conscious of of not uh, leaving anything behind, but just the inadvertent unwrapping something as you're walking along, and sometimes there's a big gust of wind and and so on, and we discovered that the uh, the trekking companies and and the guides and the crew. Uh, would have a big clean up a couple of times a year and they would just walk parts of the trail and collect rubbish uh, before it got a uh, an opportunity before it had an opportunity to establish itself in the environment so we found that that was a really interesting solution um, I, I suppose this preference would have been not to see any wrappers in the first place but perhaps that's impossible in a modern world now the next thing is uh, pets. Are they allowed? And this is where it can be a bit uh, can vary a bit from state to state or from country to country. So, for example, the Alpine National Park system that runs from Victoria up through the Australian Capital Territory and into New South Wales does not allow pets on the trail. So, um, taking dogs um, is uh, is certainly not allowed. Uh, and again, taking cats and feral cats tend to be a major pest problem in this country. So um, certainly cats are a no-no as well. Camping away from water sources. Now again, the distance that people tend, or that each individual state tends to vary, uh, will change. So the Victorian Parks Association regulation mandate at least 20 metres away from water sources. In the Australian Capital Territory, this is 100 metres. Now the reason for this is in the majority of the the main national park in Canberra, when the Australian Capital Territory is Namaji National Park, and one of the reasons that it is a national park is that it actually houses the water supply for the territory. So keeping the uh, the water table and the water supply clean 
uh, is going to have an impact on the whole population. Now, have you buried your toilet waste properly? Now, this should be at least 100 metres away from water sources from obvious reasons. Now, cat holes, which you use to go to the toilet, uh, should be at least 15 centimetres deep and covered properly before you leave. So, as a hint, dig your cat hole well before it's needed. There's nothing worse than having to, to have a, a, a go to the toilet in a hurry and finding out you've, uh, you've got nowhere to actually go. Uh, people tend not to want to see uh, other people's human, human waste. Now there's a growing trend uh, of carrying out toilet waste and disposing of it once you get home, but this is not something that's particularly widespread um, and it's only something that's really becoming into play over the last few years. Use the correct type of stove. Now again, this will depend on your location. If you go onto the Victorian website for parks, uh, they actually mandate gas stoves only in the Alpine parks, whereas the Australian Capital Territory, for the same parks, just state solid fuel stoves. So this could mean either gas or any other type of, of solid fuel stoves are fine, just no open fires. And if you're planning on hiking the Alpine Trail, which starts in Victoria and finishes in the Australian Capital Territory, going through New South Wales, you've basically got three different types of regulations that you're going to have to potentially deal with. Leave plants and animals, rocks and timber where you find it. It's illegal to remove them from the parks. Uh, now, part of this process, or the, the reason for this is that a lot of animals, uh, both small and large, will use these rocks or this timber or these plants to actually nest in or to, uh, to feed off. Uh, and if we go through and destroy this, uh, this uh, uh, native environment, we're potentially impacting on wildlife. Burning large logs, while it may make it easy uh, to go through and, and build a good fire, uh, is, is some animal's home. So again, normally the practice is to burn only small timber that you can go through and pick up, uh, and that's if fires are allowed. Don't, um, as we said, now that applies to plants and rocks and timber, but it also applies to animals as well. So a lot of the wildlife, um, we do have poisonous snakes. Uh, we do have things uh, that will bite and sting. Um, uh, and unless you know exactly what they are, it's probably better to leave them alone from your own safety. But also going through and uh, harassing or handling wildlife uh, can impact on their quality and can potentially cause them illness and harm. In relation to heritage, so a lot of the areas that we tend to hike around in, in Canberra do have a lot of old alpine huts, and these are classed as, as heritage areas. So do not um, respect the heritage, do not collect, deface or damage Aboriginal or European heritage, uh, either the artefacts or as sites. Where possible, stay on the trail. So when hiking in wilderness areas, it's important to protect the trails as far as possible. Uh, and this means not taking shortcuts. It's often uh, very hard to think you're going from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill. You can see it. it uh, you, can, you know where the straight line is. But in doing so, you're potentially going to be damaging the environment. And this is why switchbacks tend to be put into pathways. It seems to create a lot of extra effort and extra, extra pathways to get up a hill, but it means that you're not damaging the environment. Uh, because if we go too steeply up a hill, 
uh, erosion can occur quite, uh, quite easily. As mentioned, use only fires if you're allowed to have them. Uh, and ensure that uh, you use only dead timber from off the ground and don't, as I said, don't use large logs that are usually homes to wildlife. Um, I've been on hikes recently um, in wilderness areas in our local area as well as the Larapinta Trail and in most areas that I've, I go through and hike, open fires are not allowed. But I've seen people that have, that have actually had fires uh, and actually built fires and particularly in the more remote areas, if a fire gets out of control, it can create a huge problem as far as bushfires are concerned. So it's best not to have a fire unless they're actually permitted in the, uh, the, the area you're going through and camping. And also take into consideration what the weather conditions are like. Is it a total fire ban? It may be that you are allowed to have fires, but due to the weather conditions or the fact that it's a drought and fires are, are potentially going to get out of control, they may not be allowed at the particular time you plan on camping. As far as vehicles are concerned, use only formed roads and only when allowed. So with wilderness areas, again, a lot of these sort of areas don't allow vehicle access. Um, and it may, it may not even allow bike access or horse access either. So some, some trails tend to be shared trails that allow all three. Others will only allow hikers. So make sure you know that you're, they're allowed to use those things. And if so, ride them um, in a manner that's, that's not going to impact on the environment. Um, again, I was mentioning I was hiking this weekend in Queensland and uh, we are up the top of the, mount the mountain looking out over a lookout and we uh, actually had two motorcyclists actually um, driving their, uh, their uh, off-road bikes up the hiking trail. Now, this was definitely not allowed. Uh, it would have potentially been dangerous uh, if hikers had have been coming the other way and they hadn't been aware of it. it um, while it's not allowed, it doesn't mean necessarily mean that people don't do it. Look, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Um, a lot of what we're saying is what not to do. I think it comes down to uh, a respect for others and a respect for the environment. And some people will say, well, you know, I'm just one person um, out of many, so it'll be okay. And I think our point is, is if everybody did that, it wouldn't be okay. So, you know, there need to be some... Uh, guidance there's there needs to be some uh, respect for that guidance and it's not that hard to follow so you know think about it in the context of your enjoyment the enjoyment of others and the protecting uh, the environment that, that you're wanting to see uh, and, I, and I think some of this makes quite a lot of sense and there's no reason uh, to do something different. Now, the last thing is in relation to permits, and permits are important. Now, for the hike you're planning on doing, do you need a permit or can you just turn up? In many areas, if there is a permit system in place, rather than being a revenue raiser, it's often a way to minimise impact on campsites, particularly during the busy season. One of the areas we tend to hike in uh, in Canberra is the, uh, the Bimbury Wilderness, uh, and they have a maximum a number of people that are allowed to camp in that area at any one time. Uh, and, as, and as mentioned, this is because this is actually the city's uh, water supply. So they try and minimise the impact 
So you don't get hundreds or thousands of hikers trying to go at all at the same time. So the permitting system is free. You just need to make sure that they're, uh, you do go through and book uh, just so it limits the number of people that go through and use them. One of the uh, best known permitting systems in Australia is that of the Overland Track in Tasmania. And there is a charge for this. Uh, and the permitting system limits the number of hikers that start each day and as a result reduce the hiker impact on the trail. Now there's been a large amount of infrastructure provided on this trail uh, so the permitting fees actually go through towards paying for the boardwalks, paying for the water supplies, pay, paying for the uh, the huts that are there. So it's uh, the money's going back into the system to benefit hikers. Now, most people are aware of what they need to do to reduce their impact. However, I've, as I said, I've been on trails where everything we've gone through and talked about has been ignored. I've seen fires in wilderness areas where they're banned. I've seen rubbish left at campsites. And I've seen people cutting switchbacks. Um, as Jill mentioned before, I've, seen, I've heard people having conversations from as far away as one and a half kilometres. So it, and my hearing is not the best. So it means they're... Uh, the, the, the shape of the area is actually carrying the sound and they're talking quite loudly. Now, as more and more people become involved in hiking, the impact on the natural environment increases. So we need to ensure that we all play our part in the long-term protection of the environment. So please, take any memories, leave any footprints. Now, in, in our previous episodes, we've gone through and discussed uh, the first two of our big three, that being the pack and the uh, tent. And today's episode, we're actually going to go through and talk about the, the last of those, which is our sleeping bag, and, that, uh, and specifically the Mont Beetle Up XL Down sleeping bag. Now, in choosing a new bag, there are literally hundreds available on the Australian market at the moment. And there's a, there's a huge number of factors to go through to consider in choosing which is the right bag for you. Now, every hiker will decide on a bag purchased based on their own individual set of criteria that is often unique to their own needs. Now, for me, the choice of a new sleeping bag was based on a number of criteria. And these were that my height of 189 centimetres is generally a bit too large for a standard size sleeping bag. Uh, so that meant I needed an extra large bag. It needed to be my one and only sleeping bag, um, as it, and it needed to keep me warm across a range of temperatures down to approximately minus 7 degrees Celsius, which is about 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Most of my camping falls into the dry, damp conditions, and while I might have fairly damp days, I don't do a lot of hiking uh, where I'm going to be saturated day after day. I also have a high degree of cold tolerance, so uh, using the, uh, the actual comfort levels on sleeping bag tends to be a bit of a, an indication only. I need a bag that was as light as possible, but also packed down to a relatively small size. Uh, and, and as mentioned in previous episodes, that's as I start heading towards becoming an ultralight hiker. And while price wasn't a major factor, I did have a budget to work with. And given I was replacing a fair amount of gear at the same time, um, it, it did limit how much I could actually go through and spend on a sleeping bag. So looking at all these factors, really I went into a, uh, my purchase knowing that I was going to be making a compromise in some area. 
If I had the extra funds, I would run a four bag system that would provide the luxury of choosing exactly the right bag for the conditions that I was expecting. Now, but like most of you, I don't have an endless supply of spare funds and need to choose one bag that I knew would be, that wouldn't be ideal in every circumstances, but as I mentioned before, would cover me in the worst of my conditions. Now, what this means is it will allow me to be comfortable on my coldest hikes, uh, which for what I go through and do is around about minus six or seven degrees Celsius, as I mentioned, around about 20 degrees Fahrenheit. I spent two months researching my choices, and in the end, I chose the Mont Beetle Up XL Down Sleeping Bag. Now, Mont is an Australian company that originally started in Canberra and now sells its products uh, Australia-wide. So you'll often be familiar with this product in most hiking stores around the country. Having worked outside for most of my life, I have a fairly high threshold for cold, and I'll usually very, wear very little clothing to bed, even on the coldest night camping. It's more about when I need to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, not what I'm wearing when I go into the tent. Now, in the case of the Mont Beetle Up bag, the bag is actually rated at minus four degrees Celsius, uh, with a, uh, and this is the men's comfort level on the European EN13537 scale. And we'll talk about this scale more specifically in future episodes. But this, uh, this scale is designed to provide uh, a level of consistency so that you can compare bag to bag and see what the tolerances or what the actual uh, uh, comfort levels of each of the bags are. Now, at a five, minus four degree bag, I knew that it would easily keep me warm well past its rated level. So in the last 12 months that I've had the bag, um, the coldest temperature I've had where I've used it has been minus two degrees Celsius. Uh, and with that sort of conditions, I'm still sleeping with very little clothing. I've got the bag uh, partially unzipped. I'm not using a hood. Uh, so I'm fairly confident that the bag, for, for me personally, will take me down to minus 7 degrees once I fully rug up. Now, in fairness, I do use a fairly warm sleeping pad, which minimizes heat loss through uh, into the ground. Uh, and I do use a silk liner, which does make a small degree of difference as far as uh, uh, warmth is concerned. But it's mainly because I'm trying to keep my bag clean. Uh, which will help to uh, keep it from uh, from losing heat tolerance and, and, and lengthen its life. Now, the Beetle Up bag only comes in the extra large size. And as I said, just on 189 centimetres, I really didn't have a choice unless I wanted to do, uh, try and squeeze myself into an average size bag, which tends to suit a person of around about 185 centimetres. I've got a king size bed at home, so I wasn't about to compromise on a good night's sleep by getting a bag that was too short. The additional length um, uh, also adds some weight. Um, so typically when you're going through and looking at bags, they tend to quote the standard size. So obviously getting an extra large bag is going to go through and increase the actual uh, weight of the bag. I couldn't actually justify the price of ultralight bags, which will often weigh less, uh, be lighter, and, and in many cases it will often keep you warmer down to lower temperatures, but at a, at a greatly increased price. One of the other problems I find with a lot of ultralight bags is they tend to have a three-quarter zip, uh, and this is uh, going to make it less versatile in warm conditions. Now, down bags, the disadvantage of going through and doing a down, using a down bag 
is that they tend to have uh, a low tolerance to getting wet. So if the bag gets saturated, you don't tend to maintain a lot of warmth in the bag. And this is one of the reasons that synthetic bags still sell so well. Um, the materials that are used these days in down bags and the, and the, the waterproofing uh, means that most bags, as long as they're not getting sopping wet, will still keep you fairly warm. Uh, as long as you're able to dry them out in the daytime, um, you'll, you'll maintain a length of warm over a period of the hike. Now, my last criterion, as I mentioned for this bag, was uh, it needed to be relatively small when packed down to fit into my newer, smaller backpack. Now, this is not the smallest sleeping bag on the market, but the Beetle Up does strike a good balance in this area and is definitely much smaller and lighter than the bag it replaced. So overall, as a one-size-fit-all bag, it has, it's an excellent choice and one I'd be happy to recommend. Now, just a few of the features um, uh, uh, for the full details. If you go through and have a look, have a look on our website, um, you'll find all the, the details uh, of, uh, of the features of this bag. Um, but it does have some of the main features that are, that are quite nice is it has the ability to be zipped together with another, another bag. So Jill's actually got a, another a sleeping bag, another Mont sleeping bag, which is a heavier grade. It's not as long, which means the zips aren't going to quite line up. But it mean if we, means if we want to join the bags together, we can do so. This bag also has a small foot zip, which allows you to unzip uh, the foot area. And if it, if it is hot, to actually let a bit of excess heat escape from the, the bottom of the bag. The bag itself is a um, semi-rectangular bag. Um, mummy bags tend to be smaller and more, more compact, but I've got fairly large feet, so again, I find most mummy bags tend to be a bit constricting. Um, the standard uh, rectangular size bag tends to be a bit bulky for me, so this is a good compromise between the two. Uh, this is a high-quality bag, something that I'd actually go through and recommend to, to anyone that's worthwhile uh, uh, or as we're looking for a, a bag and, a, and is above six foot in height. Now that's all for today's episode. Um, in, next, uh, in, the, in our next episode, we're actually going to be looking at hiking footwear. Uh, and as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I've got fairly large feet. So this is going to be dealing with three different types of shoes for, for those of you with larger feet. These episodes are now available through our website at www.australianhiker.com.au, through iTunes, through the iTunes store. And if you are going to access this podcast through iTunes, please rate us and give us a five-star rating to make it easier to find this podcast. That's all for now. Bye. And bye from me.